Think for a moment about your relationship with your spouse in terms of an Olympic event. Many of the Olympic events start at the beginning, they go to the finish line, and they end very rapidly. That's not a very good picture for a relationship of marriage. But what if they would give you gold medals for great marriage relationships? What would it take to get one of those? What if you were having a great marriage and, or you were being a great parent or being a great friend and you would be able to stand up on one of those platforms and they would play an anthem and they would place something around your neck because you did something that made their relationship great. In athletics, that special quality might be dedication or perseverance. Well, for a gold medal in relationships, in marriage, there is a single quality that stands out biblically. So this morning we want to look at what God's Word tells us about that quality in 1 Peter. So please take out the sermon notes that have been provided for you. The single quality that is talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3 is the quality of submission. So let's talk about that word for a moment. That word submission when you hear it. Is your first feeling towards that word a positive one or a negative feeling? Many times it's a little negative. Let's be honest. In our age, that word has not been perceived in a very, as an inward. In fact, when we hear it, we think that maybe that word just is a little bit out of date. So when I look at the positive ways that the word is used in a dictionary, then I knew I was in trouble. I saw the definition for submission. They were like, back down, bend to another person's will, comply, crawl, cringe, give in, live a dog's life. There was not one positive phrase. That word submission was suffering from an image problem. A word that used to have a positive slant today has taken on a totally negative slant. So I knew that we were going to have to begin with the basics in order to communicate God's will and God's word today. So in your notes, submission in the New Testament means having the courage, having the courage to give up my rights to meet another person's needs. Isn't that pretty important for a marriage relationship? Having the courage to give up my rights to meet another person's needs. And that attitude deserves a gold medal. That attitude is one of the basic ingredients to living God's way. So in your sermon notes, we have noted three basic ways to live life. First, number one, it's my way. And that is, in your notes, selfish. I can live a selfish way. Do what I want because I want to. That means I'm up above everybody else. But number two, the second way, is the other's way. is subjected. You subject everything to someone else. 
because you have to, and doing exactly what they say, because I want to make them happy. I am subjected to them. I'm down underneath them. So what Peter says in the New Testament is that neither works. So he says you must do it God's way. So that's number three. That's being submissive. That is in between the other two. My way, that's being the tiger. Claw my way to the top. Be selfish. Others' way is being a turtle. That means I hide in my shell and let people throw things at me. But neither of those works. Now, submission, biblically, is not seen as just being a doormat. That is not the biblical meaning of submission. In fact, the single word that best defines that word submission in our own use of language is just being unselfish. Yeah, being unselfish in all our relationships. So Peter talks about two basic things in this passage, about being unselfish. Why should I be unselfish? And how can I be unselfish? Why and how? Let's take a quick look at those two areas. First, why should I be unselfish? That's a pretty good question for someone even to ask. Because some people are saying, you know, my selfishness is working out just fine for me. Thank you. I'm getting my way. Things are going okay for me. I like it. Especially if someone would say that, you know, you ought to be unselfish first. Let's have someone else be unselfish first, we say. That would be the unselfish things to do. Let others do it first. So the Bible gives us three very powerful reasons to be unselfish in our lives. Number one, in your notes, selfishness, yeah, that's the source of conflict. Selfishness is the source of conflict. So look at James 4, verse 1. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from what? The selfish desires that war within you. That's the source of conflict in your marriage, in your homes. So this verse says that at the root of all your conflicts, someone, somewhere, somehow is being selfish. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, that's my spouse. But sometimes it's us. So in order to bring a new sense of peace to your marriage, unselfishness can make all the difference. Now a second powerful reason to be unselfish. Peter tells us, number two, unselfishness is the secret to change. Yeah, Peter is writing to wives in this text. He's encouraging them. Look at 1 Peter 3, 1. He says, be what? Unselfish. So that if any of them, meaning your husbands, do not believe the word, they may be won over, that is, be changed, without words by what? The behavior of their wives. This applies especially to all Christians equally. In all relationships, unselfishness, is the secret to changing. Every relationship needs to grow and develop. Now, if you're struggling in your relationship with your spouse, 
you are desperate for some changes to begin. So how do you do that? Well, let me take a survey. How many of you have tried the method to change someone by pushing them? Have you tried that with your spouse? Have you tried to argue your older children into changes? See, most of the time, pushing or arguing doesn't work very well. I don't like to be pushed. You don't like to be pushed. So what does work? What does work? What works to help people to do the changing? It's simply unselfishness. In fact, it's the most powerful tool that we have. It was given to us by God. It comes from the Bible. It helps other people to grow and to change. So in you know it's the biggest changer in the history of the whole world. The biggest changer was Jesus. Because Jesus Christ was the most unselfish person who ever lived. Jesus gave his life unselfishly on the cross to forgive and to redeem you and me. And look how many people have been changed in your own life. Now who is it that is the most positive impact on you? Has it been those selfish people? Of course not. It's the people who have served you, who acted unselfishly, giving of their time, their talents, their ministry, their life for you. They have helped you to grow and to change. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ that helps you to see what he has done for you and then to become the kind of person that God uses to help others to grow and to change. Then Peter gives a third powerful reason for you and me to be unselfish. In your notes number three, selfishness is a short circuit to your prayers. Yeah, selfishness short circuits prayer. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Do this that nothing will stop what? Your prayers. You see in your notes, the way that I act toward others, it short circuits my relationship to God. You can do it all your way, using selfish energy, or you can do it God's way, depending on his boundless and overflowing energy and grace. Selfishness, at its very core, says I'm depending on my energy and my own self. But prayer, prayer is the opposite. At the very core, prayer says that I'm depending on God, depending on his word. So our own selfishness short circuits the power of prayer. Who are we depending on? A growing prayer life, study of God's word, Bible classes, worship. It's so critical to a good marriage and good family relationships. Now, if you and I are going to be unselfish, we must recognize that there will be a real struggle going on. So Peter then, in this text, gives us three words, three words of advice on how I can be unselfish. So we begin to develop a life of unselfishness in your notes, number one, with understanding. Yeah, the first key is understanding. That means that we learn to consider the needs of others. 
Consider others' needs. On the back of your notes, look at 1 Peter 3, 7 again. In the same way, you husbands, you should live with your wives in an understanding way. And the word understanding doesn't just mean intellectually. It means that you get to know the other person. We ask, what do they need? This is to be part of our relationship. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 5. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. Yet considerate of others is to be part of your attitude in all your relationships. How? To be considerate, you must develop a very important skill. So in your notes, that skill, that skill is listening. We develop the skill of listening that helps us then to be more and more unselfish. In the marriage relationship, this must be very intentional at times. Three words of advice to develop the skill of listening. Number one, in your notes, be willing to work at it. When it comes to listening, you need to be willing to work at it. It doesn't come naturally because we all are selfish by nature. By nature, we are not unselfish, so we have to work at it. Young man came into my office, asked me to help him say some good word at his friend's marriage reception. He said, I don't want to say just good luck because, you see, it takes a lot of work, a lot of give and take to have a good marriage. Well, that already was a good start. So number one, you must be willing to work at it. Number two, to be a good listener, let them tell it their way. Yeah, just let them tell it their way. See, in a relationship, one person usually, they want to tell the whole story. The other person wants just to hear the point. What's the point? We call these two types, painters and pointers. Have you ever noticed that? When one person gets the point, then they tend to stop listening. They don't let the other person tell it their way. Now, if you are a person who likes to finish other people's sentences, this is something you need to work on. To be a good listener, just let them tell it their way. Then number three, to be a good listener, you make eye contact. Make eye contact. You guys especially out there, you and I know that from behind the newspaper, we do hear every single word that our spouses are saying. See, we know that, but they don't. So drop the paper. You make eye contact. Eye contact just says, I'm listening to you. What you are saying is important to me. Listening helps you to be what? Number one, considerate of others' needs. The second way to be more unselfish in your notes, number two, is the word respect. That means honor other values. You honor the values of others. Look at 1 Peter 3, 7 again. But show them respect, because God gives them the same blessings he gives to you. The grace that gives true life. So the ability to seek and to honor the value of someone else. Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 3, when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble. Give more honor, what? To others 
than to yourselves. I will give more attention to others' needs only when I begin to value them more than myself. Now, this is not thinking less of yourself, but it is saying that you just need to think of yourself less and thinking of others more. We say we need to appreciate others. That means to raise their value. Appreciate means something goes up in value. And we need to do that with other people. We need to appreciate, to raise their value, not to lower their values. In your notes, the third part of being unselfish. Number three is sacrifice. Sacrifice means the willingness to act on another's behalf. Act on another's behalf. There is a huge difference, however, between unselfish words and unselfish actions. It's pretty easy to talk. It's easy to say unselfish things. But unselfish action involves sacrifice to act on others' behalf. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Peter says, Your godly lives speak to them better than any words. See, that's where we often struggle. Oh, it's easy to say, I want to meet your needs, or I value you, I love you with all my heart. But sacrificial talk makes us usually feel good. But sacrificial action, however, that kind of scares us. Look also at 1 John 3, 18. John says, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us what? Really love them. And show that by how? Our actions. See, in your marriage, in your family, there are three things we need to learn to do. First thing you notice, number one, we need to learn to how to express disagreements. We express disagreement in a way that isn't demanding. Secondly, number two, we need to learn how to receive honest concern without becoming a threat. So you receive honest concerns. And thirdly, you need to learn, number three, how to value your teammate. So in conclusion, to be unselfish. In your notes, you need to let go of your fears. And we fear that if somehow I am just unselfish, people are going to take advantage of me. In order to overcome that fear of unselfishness, you need someone you need to find someone who actually loves you perfectly. You see, someone already loves you and me both perfectly because Jesus loves us perfectly. And Jesus Christ is that security and that strength enables us to love others unselfishly. Peter reassures us of that in 1 Peter 1.22. Please read it with me together out loud. Now you can have real love for everyone because your souls have been cleansed from selfishness and hatred when you trusted Christ to save you. So see to it that you really do love each other warmly with all your hearts. And there's a prayer that you can insert the name of your spouse or a family member for whom you want to ask God's help. We pray Jesus Christ. I pray that your attitude of unselfishness would be expressed in my relationship with that person I'm thinking about. I thank you for your unselfish love for me. I accept your love for me and I pray that you would help me to learn to live your way in my relationships. 
In your name I pray. Amen.